What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Making the Shift. This week's episode is Mythbusters. Thanks for tuning in live on Channel 7 here with your hostess with the mostest speech dude, a.k.a. Chris Winger, and... His better hat. <laughs> I was going to say with that intro, it almost sounds like you're doing like Crime Busters. Is that a show? This is it's Crime Busters. A little, like, We're going to break crime. down all the crimes that Jesse Ginsburg has done this past year. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, as Chris said, today we are doing myth busting, so specifically autism myths. And this is something that it's funny that we even feel we have to talk about, but I just feel like the more like we post on social media and we hear from people or people are hearing from us the first time, we get so many of these questions and people really still just don't know. Well, here's the other thing too. Even if it's content that you might already know, you're going to hear it in a new way. The other thing is, is you might be able to say, hey, you know what? I heard an episode that had that discussion. Go check out Making the Shift with Jesse and Chris because they um, talked about that. They shared some information and resources. And so I do think that the more we can talk about things and the more we can spread awareness, um, the, the better off we all are. Absolutely. And sometimes I honestly forget that People don't live this life of they eat, sleep, and breathe like we do. <laughs> this content we do, you know, it's such a part of our day to day life. So, I do sometimes think that you're right. Like we do spend the majority of our days reading books, listening to podcasts, um, talking to autistic adults and other people, and just really diving into it. So it's kind of nice to gather all that information and be able to send it from our mouths through the microphone uh, onto the airwaves. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to go through five common myths about autism. So number one. First one, there's a cure for autism. That, my friends, is a myth. Their autism can't be cured. It's something that is, and it shouldn't be cured, by the way. Autism is a neurotype, right? Yeah, and I think the bigger issue with that myth is the framing of it, right? Because when we use the word cured, that implies that, oh, this is some sick medical condition that needs to be corrected. So even the word cured is a hurtful word to use. Right. It actually sets off the idea to other individuals like, hey, you know what, you need to be cured. You need to be fixed. You're broken. And that is harmful in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Really think about that. Yeah, definitely. So that's why we don't even use that phrase when talking about autism. If you hear people talking about 
it in that way, that would be a great time to chime in and say, you know, we actually don't say that first of all. And autism is a neurotype. It is a brain type. So that is why it is not something that um, can, should be changed. Right. Now, um, you know, there might be some challenges, right? There might be different types of situations where there might be more anxiety or there might be more challenges with sensory um, needs. And non-autistic people also experience challenges as well. So uh, it's not to discredit to say, hey, look, it's a different neurotype and we shouldn't be helping anybody. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying, hey, by actively saying that autism, there needs to be a cure where government spending all sorts of funding on these things, it's just not helpful for anybody. It's actually the opposite of helpful. It's very harmful. Right. Meanwhile, acknowledging autism is a disability. Correct. Yeah. So wanting to support, accommodate. Provide therapy Mm -hmm. so autistic individuals can live their true authentic and be their true authentic selves while living a purposeful life. Okay. Our number two myth is a big one, but I wish I could say I don't still hear this all the time. All the time. You say it. Autism's caused by... Drum roll, please. Vaccines. We still hear this. All the time. All the time. Oh, yeah. Autism's caused by vaccines. Really? Um, or that, like, it can be acquired, that it can just pop up overnight. And so that's a myth, yeah, you guys. I mean, we Let's... still hear a lot of stories, I will say, especially on social media from families saying that um, it popped up one day or they didn't see the signs or something like that, you know? I'm going to go on a whole different route here. It just made me think about an analogy. Um, you know, way long ago, there was this story of the British coming when when we were establishing the U.S., right? The United States with the, with the colonies. And so uh, there was this guy named Paul Revere who set out to let everybody know, you know, that the British are coming. And so what ended up happening was because of his name and because it was like, sit right here and let me tell you the story of Paul Revere and it had a good flow and a good name. Uh, that was what was printed. So that became fact, right? But the truth was, it was a guy named Israel Bissell. Paul Revere made it like 13 miles on his horse. The guy pooped out. His horse <laughs> needed water. The guy was like, I'm tired. I'm like, buddy, you were the one on the horse. The horse is tired. <laughs> Israel Bissell had to go like 250 miles to inform the colonies, hey, the British are coming, right? Um, the shot heard around the world. And so um, I say that because what happened decades ago was there was this um medical expert who claimed his name was Andrew Wakefield. And he came out and said, Hey, I have found evidence that vaccinations are linked to the cause of autism. And it was printed just like Paul Revere's story, right? Just like Christopher Columbus's story going around the world. (laughs) The reality was the globe was invented like thousands of years prior. So I share that with you because Andrew Wakefield, even though it was printed, the story became factual to people and it was deemed and they did tons of research to say, Hey, look, this guy was full of crap (laughs) (laughs) so much. So they yanked every single one of his credentials, his degrees, everything. He was wiped from the boards and he was fined. Everything was stripped away, but it didn't matter because that legend became fact 
in the eyes of people. And here we are literally decades later. I'm talking, this is over two decades ago. And yet this still resonates with some people. It's like, come on. I was like, guess what? We have the internet. We could find information out. We can talk to others. Yeah, but that's for better or for worse. You can yeah. find the answer to whatever you want on there. Uh, yeah, but 20 years right. ago was different, right? 20 years ago, we didn't have the information that was uh, readily accessible. We didn't have um, being people being able to connect and communicate like we do um, in 2023. And so it's one of those things where um, we um, take Andrew Wakefield and we flush him down the toilet. There we go. <laughs> the dirty toilet. So with this autism, false information. Autism is not something uh, that can be acquired. It is something that kids are born with. It is their brain. And um, oh my gosh, pregnancy brain. I just had well, something on my mind. Well, while you think of that, I'm gonna transition into three because you said kids aren't born with it. And we also want to say number three, it's not just in boys. And we hear that myth quite often too. It's like, yeah, I think we are starting to hear a lot more of um, that myth being debunked, right? But it's definitely worth bringing up because every so often, I think that there's still this mindset that autism is aligned with only being in boys. Yeah. And the truth is that, you know, it just may look differently in girls, may look very differently in girls. Girls may be able to hide it better. There's a lot of different kind of theories for that, which we'll have to do a whole episode on that one. Yeah, you know, we have tests that are antiquated. So remember that all of the tests designed to diagnose autism were um, based around boys, right? And so you have inaccurate tests. You also have girls who are much better at masking. So they can hide their autistic characteristics and traits much better than boys can. And so when there maybe is some sign, well, first off, that means they they go unnoticed, right? There's no as much concern. Girls are just better to at suppressing things, which, you know, isn't the healthiest um, choice on that. But also in testing, they can get through these tests and a lot better than boys can. And so remember, it's framed because it was built upon the idea that autism is only in boys. So right. much so that Autism Speaks said, hey, we're going to go ahead and create a puzzle piece. We're going to color it blue. And I was going to say also because people think that parents are less likely to assume that their daughters may be autistic. Right. Because right. they haven't learned that. And here's what, here's what I'm finding. That's still on the same topic, but digressing off the path just barely, <laughs> which is that girls and boys, there's more of an understanding of what autism is, what the characteristics are versus years ago, right? And so we're seeing a lot more of an increase in rate of autism with boys and girls. And when that happens, because there's a genetic link we're now seeing that there was a lost generation of autistic people who never got the diagnosis. And so we're hearing at large that once a child is being diagnosed with being autistic, the parent finds out about the genetic component, the genetic link and goes, oh, you know what? I'm starting to see some of these characteristics in myself. Yeah, and therefore we see that that lost generation. So it's not like there's a prevalence in all of the sudden a huge spike in autism. It's just, we're understanding it so much yeah. 
better. Yeah. And that's why I'm excited about these next two myths, because these are both myths that are super hurtful. Um, bust them, bust them down, bust these myths oh, down. We're going to bust, bust them. them. So the first one, not first, fourth myth. Number four is that autistic people don't have empathy. We hear that resonating and being discussed occasionally. Um, where I say a lot. A, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And when the reason is, to, I don't want to say the reason is, but I want to say one of the many reasons is that, again, the tests are framed to make it appear while parents felt these questionnaires and doctors and say, well, they lack empathy because they don't connect with their peers or whatever this deficits based language is being used. I think that's one of the reasons, you know, So it's less that they don't have empathy. It's more that the communication styles, the social interaction styles are so different that um, there's a misalignment there, but I have gone deep into the communities online reading discussion boards on this topic and in autistic communities where they're talking about like do you think this is you or not and you see an equal number of people say the complete opposite autistic people say I am so overly empathetic that it is like gets in the way of my my day-to-day life because I have such deep feelings of empathy for other people Absolutely. There is a research study that was done um, called the double empathy problem, right? And uh, I know the name of one of the individuals that had something to do with it. His last name's Milton. He's not part of Milton Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't create a monopoly. But this guy um, and a few other people, um, what they had found was that when non-autistic people are grouped with non-autistic people, They're able to understand each other, each other's perspectives, um, communicate. And when not, when autistic people were grouped with autistic people, the same thing happened. They understood each other. There's no breakdown of communication, but when they cross the two and they put an autistic, when put autistic people with non-autistic people, that's where the communication breakdown and understanding, um, really came from. So that's called the double empathy problem. We'll put that in the show notes. Right. So Um, it's this whole idea of like, we always talk about theory of mind. Well, can they put themselves in our shoes? But it's the question is, well, can we put ourselves in their shoes? Absolutely. This is a really important discussion too, when it comes to working with our clients, when it comes to working at the IEP, when a parent says, well, I just want to create goals so they can have friends um, with the idea that, hey, taking an autistic child and pushing them into a group of neurotypicals will be the solution. And that's just not the case because of the double empathy problem. Not to say not to do that, but these are definitely discussions that should be had on what are the effective ways to build opportunities for natural conversations and for natural friendships. That's a really important thing. So uh, again, number four, um, debunking the myth that autistic people lack empathy. It's just not true. We're going to take that one and flush it down the toilet as well. And that leads straight to number five, myth number five, which is autistic people don't want friends why can't we be friends why can't we be friends that is uh definitely a um a myth and i can tell you firsthand experience in working with my students um 
that even when a student comes in, so I, I have a dynamic assessment that I use that has a friendship section, but even if the student says, uh, I, I, I don't want any friends, um, and goes down, um, dis- that discussion, if I create an interest group, if I create an opportunity like after school video game club, where that student that had previously told me, I don't want a friend. And then all of a sudden they have a connection with somebody who's on the same wavelength as them. That's somebody who shares the same characteristics, someone who shares the same commonalities and common bonds. There is a natural friendship that happens. And all of a sudden that light bulb clicks on. They're like, actually, you know what? I enjoy having somebody to be connected with. I think that the fear when they get to the high school level is that because of a variety of reasons, they get to the high school level and say, I don't want to be connected with anybody. Maybe because of there's not been Tra- some traumatic past traumatic yeah, trauma in the past. Absolutely. So rejection, rejection, traumatic past being taught, you know, trained with treatment approaches that suppress yeah. their autistic characteristics and teach them that, Hey, you, you can't be, be you. Be You've got to be someone different. Yeah. You got to be neurotypical or else you're, or you're not as a valid member of the of society. Those things are all are are harmful. But yeah, I'm telling you that that is a myth. Autistic yeah. people want to be connected with others. Matter of fact, they thrive when they connect, especially within their community. But um, even with when you have um, just an inclusion model where people are having the right supports and building those interest and common bonds to bring people together, it's a really helpful thing. And I think this myth is also, um, it's perpetuated by the fact that we don't always understand like maybe what they want their friendships to look like. And we did a whole episode on that. You can go back. It was in the very beginning um, called Little Known Secrets about Autism and Friendships, where we talk about what an autistic person may want in a friend and how that might look different from what a neurotypical person may want in a friend. So I think us being able to better understand that is going to help us to support our kids in the friendships that they do want to have. Oh, absolutely. Yep. That was a, that was a fun episode to do. So hopefully these five myths that we just are flushing down the toilet. um, So to give you some of that language. So if it, it is ever brought up, you now have the knowledge, you know how to direct people over to the, um, this episode so that way it could be beneficial for everybody we can spread the love so um, yeah yeah i was just gonna say all right all right that is what we have for you for this episode until next time my friends be cool and be legendary bye bye if you enjoyed today's episode hit subscribe write a review or share it with a friend thanks for tuning in we'll catch you next time